he's doing a lot with virtually nothing. Right. Like, like the script for this might as well have been like a single piece of paper. And he's just eating off of every line. He is not late for his shift at the cunt factory. He just <laughs> is serving. Oh, it's not for the fact that that shirt would probably be banned from our, our, uh, our tea public store that that would make a, a, I, I would a love to cl- lay claim, but shirt. I, I, I am repeating a, a, a TikTok thing. So, um, <laughs> I don't think I've ever heard you say that word. My goodness. No, no. And I, we'll see if it stays in the episode. I might, it'll either be right up front or all the way at the end or right where it's at. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, diet times here. That's right. We're talking about 1931's Dracula. The movie that started it all on Kill by Kill. Well, greetings and salutations and it's your old pal Patrick Hamilton coming to you once again from Carfax Amy. This is the Kill by Kill podcast where we are dedicated to celebrating the least discussed component of any horror film, the characters. And for season five, this is the debut of our discussion of vampires or Dracula's however you want to say it, with 1931's Universal Studios' original uh, Dracula in the hopes that a young socialite's untimely end is just the beginning of the joke so he might make at her expense. And as always, there's only one person I trust to let me know when the sun's going down on our boat to London. The one, the only, Gina Radcliffe. How are you doing today, Gina? Uh, hang on, I can't see. I have this beam of light that's, oh. that's shining directly across my eyes. Oh, now I can't think of anything because all I'm looking at is the beam of light that's across your eyes. Yeah, it's just, you know, it's supposed to make me look very dramatic. Uh, it uh, is very it, dramatic. Because it's making my pupils about the size of pinpoints at this point. So, yeah, it I guess I would look pretty dramatic. the size of pinpoints. <laughs> I'm doing a you weird know. thing with my hand. It looks like a fork that never bends and you're pointing at me. And even when it hits a pillow, the fingers don't bend. (laughs) (laughs) I got you. I got you. (laughs) I mean, you're thrall. This is Dracula, baby. And honestly, when we started this show, I never thought we'd be talking about Dracula. (laughs) Not in a million damn years. And yet here we are because there's just, no way we can talk about vampires at any other decade or point without discussing this movie. That being said, as much as I love many things about Dracula and the much as this is the movie that hypnotized me into wanting to learn more that, that drew me into the monster loving kid that I was. It's not what you call a nonstop boogie. In terms of moviedom, Gina. No, no, it's really not. Uh, the interesting thing about this particular version of Dracula, and I didn't see the the movie in its entirety until until I was an adult. But right. the this image of Dracula is so baked into American culture. I mean, this is this is basically our grandparents 
idea of what a vampire looks like with yeah. the with the and even now when great you, grandparents if, idea of what a vampire yeah looks like. if you buy a halloween costume of dracula you're still gonna have the slicked back hair you're gonna have the cape you're gonna have the little medallion around your neck and the funny thing is even though it's loosely you know let's emphasize loosely based on the book that this image of Dracula was 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 created entirely for the play and this movie. Right. My 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 favorite bit of trivia about Dracula, and I'm sure I've mentioned it on this before, is that if you read the book and you pay attention to how Count Dracula is is described, the image that would probably most likely come to your head is Sam Elliott. He's <laughs> he's He's described as an older man with a thick, bushy mustache. Um, And I'm like, well, you know what? If Sam Elliott walked into the room, I'm pretty sure he would have almost everybody in his thrall as well. So that, 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 that works too. But yeah, Mm -hmm. this version of this, uh, you know, the sort of refined, you, you mysterious European was for the play and sort of created around Bela Lugosi. Right. I mean, he wasn't the first person to originate the role. We have to say that up front. He wasn't even the, the person that that Bram Stoker, who aimed for this to be on the stage, wanted to be in this role. That being said, he's the one person who kind of crystallizes it. Because when they put it on the stage and they, they dress him in this outfit, what they're going for is like a hokey stage magician. Because so much of what, when... Uh, when stage presentations talked about the macabre or the supernatural, they always played it off of like, no, he's just playing a vampire. He's not really a vampire. And so it's actually a swerve that Dracula is a legit blood-sucking vampire who can transform into a bat. That is not something that every audience was expecting it when they saw it on the stage. So part of it is, in its original incantation, to uh, get the audience to think, well, this guy isn't going to end up being a fucking vampire. And then, at, wait wait a second, he really is? That, which in and of itself is such a complete 180 to how anyone would approach this material now. Right. I mean, the problem with the the movie is, is yeah, and I will absolutely concede it is one of, if not the most influential horror movie absolutely. of all time, yeah. is it is... You can really see where that Hayes code gutted this film. <laughs> I mean, it's like, it's not exciting. Yeah. It's not scary. It's not, you, there's not a, you, so much as a single whiff of eroticism in it, which, you know, if you read the book, it's surprising how, like, the one of the, one of the, the first scene in which, Jonathan Harker encounters the brides. They are basically about to give him a blowjob. <laughs> yeah. Like they, yeah. They are. Like they're he they're giving them a Ghostbusters blowjob. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. Yo, 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 they are moving down my chest. And it's like, all right, I see where this is going, baby. Okay. <laughs> and he's like scared, but also really turned on at the same time. But mm-hmm. like, that's just like, no, we're not, we're not doing any of that. That, that will not do. Yes. And, and yet, the film is also so scared that the audience will perceive that the Count is sexually attractive to Harker or that there's any chemistry between them. 
that it chooses to have the bride's turn. Well, it's Renfield in this version. Uh, the bride's turn Renfield, or not even fully turned, just like give him a snack. Just put him under the original thrall. Just give him a taste, baby. Yeah, like like Whereas, enough where enough where he's not he, he doesn't have like vampire powers himself, but he's sort of under right. under his control. Yes. Um, and as such, in the Spanish language version, which was filmed at night, because this was the habit at the time, not just at Universal, but at, at many studios, was you filmed the English language version during the day. And at night, a new crew would come in and they would use the same sets and the same setups to produce a Spanish language version of that same thing. It was just easier at the time than dubbing or anything along those lines. It, that was just more technical and harder to do. And the other element of it is sound was so fucking new at the time. Not everyone had a sound, you know, a, a sound setup inside of their movie theater. So this is half set up to also be a silent movie. So there's that element too, but I 100% agree with you in terms of its influence. There's just things that are so baked into this that they become default. They, they just, they are what right you are either trying to do something that Bella Lugosi did in your own way, or you're not, you're decidedly not doing Bella Lugosi. Right. And for decades and decades and decades, those are your choices in terms of what, how your vampire operates. And most people attempt to do, well, it can't be that hard to do what Bella Lugosi did. And then you watch what they did and you're like, holy shit. Bella Lugosi's got a lot going fucking on here. Like, there's a reason why he's the default Dracula. Yeah, the problem is with the with this particular movie is that the the you know the the sole actors bringing the juice to this mm. is Bella Lugosi and Dwight Fry. Yes, who 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 plays Renfield? Did, did, mm -hmm. See, did you watch? Uh, um, Renfield, the one with uh, Nicholas Cage, and uh, I have not yet for fear that we might do it in the future and i didn't i i didn't want to watch it without, without taking notes on it i'm sorry to say it's uh, you know it's all, it's, it's, all, it's all right it's fine yeah. but he uh, uh nicholas holt recreates the scene for a shot in which uh renfield is coming out of the uh i guess he's in the um whatever they call the, the area of the uh, of a ship where they store uh, uh luggage the and hull. all the hull yeah. yeah and he's just got this like maniacal grin directly at the camera mm -hmm. and he and he recreates that in such a great that, shot but it's such a memorable yeah. scene here because he's just like he's just doing something else entirely and yeah. every every version of Renfield every single version of Renfield has been exactly like that mm -hmm. yes it, it just it sets the tone and then it goes beyond that because before this, uh, creepy places were created by angles and lighting. And then this movie introduced the concept that spiders be going crazy in that piece. And <laughs> after that, cobwebs become a thing. It's just a thing people assume is in a creepy castle. And that only comes from Dracula. That's how wildly influential this movie is it just there was a world before dracula was released and a world after it and um i think 
in a way, because this is our introduction to vampires, I think we need to, while it is not the original vampire novel, it is, of course, the thing that kind of sets the standard. So let's let's uh, go back a little bit. Let's talk about our man Bram and his original novel. Um, while this movie is based on the Bram Stoker, Bram Stoker novel, it's even more so based on the presentation produced by Hamilton Dean um, and... Oddly, Universal had to pay two other stage versions off just to avoid lawsuits. So it's like based on a whole bunch of like the title card is like long in terms of, but based on this and this and that and that, just covering all their fucking bases because of what happened with Nosferatu. Um, but Universal kind of had Dracula in its drafts folder for a long time. The thing is, founder and owner Carl Lumley hated horror which is a little weird considering how much you one might think when you think monster movies and classic horror, you're thinking universal. He didn't care for it personally. And, but in respect to that, he was fine with what was referred to at the time as the macabre, which is just strange shit happening. And my apologies in advance uh, because these ideas are not mine. The, they are the, the ideas of Carl Lemley. But he was fine with elements of the disfigured, in his words. The Hunchback of the Notre Dame. The Phantom of the Opera. Like, stuff that featured Lon Chaney and crazy-looking makeups. Because they were still human beings. They didn't represent the supernatural. Everything was fine. Except for this one person who just had something different about them that made them occasionally want to murder or kidnap, you know, a lady and take them up to the top of a church. Um, so, and I'll say this as an explanation for this, but not an excuse. There was a public fascination at the time with disfigurement post world war one, world war one. And, and, and that's been documented over and over again. People who survived near fatal injury, from that conflict were saved by new medical advancements and that, that captivated people. They were interested in it because they had not seen it before. So, and this wasn't just something they read either. Cause there's that guy in town who was a veteran of world war one who had insane scars or maybe came home with one less arm than when he left. And he was a focus of constant conversation by everyone around him. And, in typical Hollywood fashion, Lemley exploited that. Horror is a dark mirror of society. It's a safe place to explore what we are fear, we fear and are fascinated about in society. And so he was fine about that. Uh, yeah, I mean, and you see, and I mean, honestly, there's there are you know modern filmmakers who who dip into that well. Um, yes, uh, Ari Aster, for instance. Um, got some uh, 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 criticism for featuring a, uh, I mean, in, in, in you, in the, the film, the character is supposed to be the product of incest, but there is a, a disfigured character in Midsummer who is treated as some sort of like, uh, sort of like a, like a, like an Oracle mm-hmm. in, this, in this village. And I know that people frowned on that and thought that that could have been, handled in a, in a different way. And I, and I don't disagree. Yeah. It's just, it's in the miasma. I think we're better at it. And I think we come at it from better places nowadays, 
but it is just it, it again it is a reflection of our society and so it doesn't always excuse it but it is an explanation for it um so speaking of maybe we should talk a little bit about how dracula is probably a symbolic uh representation of bram stoker's repressed homosexuality oh certainly yeah the, the i oh yeah obviously um you know, which, you know, probably, uh, you know, the vast majority of, of vampire stories are, you know, you know, somebody working out their repressed sexuality in one way or another, because yeah. there's always some, you know, forbidden aspect to it. So either you're, you're repressed because you are, you are, you are gay and cannot act upon that, or you are in a situation where you, you know, you might have feelings for another person, but can't act upon it for whatever reason. So, you know, you, you basically embody these feelings into, into a monster who is not quite human, but, but not, but also has a sort of you know, power to enchant other people. Exactly. It, it, there, there's a transgressive nature to it. There's an exchange of fluids. You know, there's it's penetration. About, it's about penetration. It, there's that's all baked into the cake. Um, and what I find interesting about Bram Stoker's approach to this isn't so much that he committed it to paper. It's how it all kind of turns around on him while he's alive and at the top of his game. Because my guy went through his school levels at a time when, quote-unquote, romantic friendships were encouraged between men, between women. It was this kind of safe space where you could be in lovish with somebody and be just overly fascinated and always by their side. But it was more like, trying to allow you to have someone who could listen to you and feel you emotionally without fully committing to the marriage level. It was, I think it was uh, probably a, uh, what we would call today having a soulmate. Yes. Where you right. can, you can, you could have a bond, you could have that sort of quasi romantic bond with someone, but not, you know, marry them or even be in a, in a open relationship with them or you know, not even have sex with them. Just, you know, you have like this sort of like, you know, I've known this person my whole life kind yes. of, kind of, kind of, kind of bond with a person. And it probably ran the gamut, but it was at a time when honestly society felt like you don't have to be a man until you're married. You don't have to represent, you know, male aspects of your personality until you reach the point of adulthood and you were just allowed to be a flouncy flauderall, whether or not you were a boy or a girl. And it really gets shut down um, after the Oscar Wilde scandal creates a wave of homophobia across Europe. Um, he, and as when Bram wrote the novel with the hopes of it come, becoming a play, it was because he had a crush on Henry Irving, who was a giant star of the stage, who had long flowing hair and a very luscious mustache. Um, maybe a little Sam Elliott, if you were. <laughs> so um, also one of my favorite thing about this is that they had a reading of an early play version of it that Bram Stoker was involved with. And uh, they did it at Irving's theater. And when rumor has it, when Irving did hear a part of that read through, 
uh, he w- is told to have bellowed dreadful and walked out. Oh, that must have broken his heart. Right. Uh, and I mean, like, everyone knows what Dracula is, and like, one in a thousand knows who fucking Henry Irving is. So, yeah, who's laughing? Who Who's laughing in heaven now, Henry? Yeah, guess who chose poorly, motherfucker? You could have been <laughs> Dracula, but no. <laughs> you could have been like, yeah, that's me. I'm Dracula. That's, <laughs> that's about me. He wrote that about me, you know. I don't, you know, we also have to mention that this is coming, you know, we're still, you know, it's getting near the end, but we're still in the, the Victorian era. Yes. Where yes, yes, where yes. everything, the way you dress, the way you lived, who you married, what you did was, you know, based you deeply in repression. Right. And and you if you had you any, you know, other, you know, you weird, you know, quote unquote, weird sexual desires beyond, you know, sex in the dark with your good, your goodly wife, you know, once a week, you, you went and found, you know, some lady of the evening or, you know, boy of the evening to, to, to take care of that. And you did not talk about it. No. So and yeah. Oscar the, Wilde did. And that it got him caught out. Right. And he he the had the audacity in prison. Right. He had what? the audacity to be open about his proclivities. And when that gets shut down, everything gets shut down in terms of that. It just, it's a fucking sea change. And so Stoker ends up, you know, going on to say some pretty horrifically homophobic things in the aftermath of the wild trial. But obviously that's projection and fear coming from him as, you know, his friend is shipped off to prison for simply being too fucking fabulous. And so <laughs> he's fabulousness in the first degree. Right. And he's, you know, this is an outlet for him where he writes about this fabulous man in this faraway land. And you show up and he's like, Hey, let's have dinner together. And, you know, he's working some shit out um, in the sense, like he's projecting himself as Harker he has this journey to a strange foreboding castle to meet up with a hot older man who likes all the things you like, like real estate purchases and contracts and drinking your fluids. It's not a big leap. <laughs> um, you know, and even, you know, Mina and Lucy's friendship has that sort of, there, there's a modern girl thing happening here where they even pick it up in other versions of it. Whereas like she's using a typewriter and, you know, they talk about everything together and maybe there's some roaming hands under the bed covers energy. Um, and that's part of the allure here. Like it's the reason why this book has been a constant seller since it's fucking publication. Yeah. It's you, you there's, you know, a lot of takeaways you, you, you could, you could get from it and they're, they're all correct. Yes. It's fascinating how many different ways you can slice this particular onion and all of them have crazy layers. So it's like, it's not all homoerotic good times, people. We also have to contend with not only the novel, but the play and this movie's delightful xenophobia. I was literally, you took the word right out of my mouth. I was going to say, we also have to mention the xenophobia. Um, You know, Dracula can be viewed through many lenses, but sadly, one of the more prominent is that he is an outside plague carrier to put that in dig dick fingers. Like he sneaks past borders to invade the pure lands of Britain. You know, he purchases the biggest house in town via shady real estate deals and just happens to start sucking the life out of these innocent, 
<coughs> white men and women. You know what I mean? Yeah, he's yeah. Like, it's, he, listen, he's touching, he's working a lot of shit out with this book. He really is. And there, and then you might be saying, but Pantry, Dracula is very white. He might even be described as the palest of the boys, one might say. Uh, but all the better to smuggle the racism in. And also, so, also, also, certainly in the case of Bell Lugosi play him, yes. there was a time when Eastern European, which was what he was, he was Hungarian, w- was not considered the same as, you know, the, the good people of, of, you know, England and Ireland and Wales. That, that mm-hmm. was, that was a little different. Yes. Uh, and as the, you know, there's a lot of things mixed into that. Um, obviously you, you, you have the, uh, there's just all that sort of anti-Semitic and anti-foreigner stuff that's just creeping in around it. They're foreign. They're not like us. Therefore, something must be wrong with them because how can they not live in our current, you know, well-kept society or how we view society should run? They don't even have the decency to speak English. And you're like, most of the world does not speak English. I don't know that this is, why is this fucking default? It's white supremacy, everybody. It's just the, it's just the, the core of it. Yeah, yeah, they don't, they don't, they don't drink our food. They, they don't eat our food. They don't, they don't drink <laughs> they our don't, drinks. They don't eat our drink. You know I mean? They just, we, they have these strange customs. Yes. Uh, and, and, and then they show up. And they totally uh, snack on your women is how this kind of goes. And in there is another layer we like to call is can capitalism be working against me? Yes, that's right, everyone. This is kind of a colonialism bites back story where if you start making deals with people from outside lands and allow them to move into your borders, they're just going to start doing what they want to do. Like normal people. This is a character, everyone. This is obviously not my ideas. Uh, and as a result, you have a, a weird, oh God help me. Great replacement theory shit going on here. It's just fucking terrible. Well, that's um, why, well, that's why there are so many, you know, if, if we were to, if we were to do even like a fraction of how many vampire themed movies there are, we would we would be able we would be talking about nothing else. Yes. Because you can apply the concept of a vampire in so many countless ways and with so many metaphors, you can make it you can make it a metaphor for for drug addiction or alcoholism. You can make it a metaphor for 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 puberty. You know, you yes. can make it a metaphor for falling in love for the first time or the last time, depending on how badly it goes. <laughs> uh, there, there are just there are so because there are so many different interpretations you could come at with the concept of draining somebody or or having yeah. this overwhelming animalistic need for something, whether it's whether it's blood or flesh or sex or whatever i i'm re re i'm re-watching for the third time um 
midnight mass. I'm, I'm yes. writing it. I'm, I'm writing each, uh, episode by episode for my, my newsletter. And everyone should be reading it. Well, I, thank I, you. I, 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 I am enjoying it. Even though I'm at the part now where I start crying roughly about every 10 minutes. Sure. But I am getting, I, I just completed the episode in which, uh, you, you figure out that, that, uh, you know, spoilers. If you haven't seen midnight mass yet, a certain character is in fact a vampire and he is dealing with this overwhelming hunger and it's making him angry. And, and, and when he does eventually, you know, you accidentally at first kill someone and he's drinking from them. Someone asks him, do you feel guilty about this? He says, no, because he hadn't, he had a hunger. He had to satiate it. That person happened to have the bad luck to be there. He didn't mean for them to get hurt. But he took advantage of the situation, and yes. I, you know, I just you find that very powerful. Yes, it it literally goes back to any number of interpretations, but you you could certainly call that, in a sense, a, a very uh, problem with late stage capitalism. Like he may be a bloodsucker, but how dare he suck our blood as a reaction in this movie? Right? Yeah, and the in- tone of this movie is how dare you i mean this is this is something we do to other people and how dare you use the rules and methods of colonialism against us it it just holy hell media analysis is fun people everyone should try doing it you just have to be literate enough to give it away it is watch your shit with an open mind Yes. Yeah. Don't be it's, like you. Know, oh, why do we got to you? Know, you why do we have to to att- attach a morality tale to everything? Because a lot of a lot of movies are written with you know you know, a deeper meaning in mind. Yes, and not to mention the fact that horror, at its core, is a reflection of society's fears. Therefore, it's inherently political. Every single time, the comedies, the romance, the westerns, all of them. All of them are political on some level because when it works, when it's right, when it's actually coming at it from the sense that it wants to be a horror movie, it is a reflection of something that's what resonates with y'all. So let's get back to the movie a little bit and let's talk a little bit about fail sons. Um, How about a non-fail son, (laughs) Carl Emley Jr.? He's uh, the studio head's uh, junior, as it were. And he's really pushing for the company to develop Bram Stoker's Dracula into a movie from the novel. He snaps up the right to the Dean stage play, even though they don't have a ton of money coming in. He's saying, this is an investment. You need to have seen how audiences reacted to this play in New York, in Hollywood. They are freaking out about it. And we can take advantage of that in this medium and take it everywhere faster than the stage play can move. And so originally Lemley Jr. saw Dracula as a very opulent and grandiose version of Stoker's novel because it's film. You can do a lot more things than you can do on the stage. Uh, But speaking of the ultimate bloodsucker of capitalism, the stock market crash of 29 happens and then the subsequent Great Depression happens and the budget of this film shrinks massively. And you can see this in the final film because there's a lot of money spent up front on Dracula's castle and Carfax Abbey. And the rest of the sets are kind of reused stately rooms from melodramas. There's a lot of let's all gather in one room and talk scenes in this film. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It kind of becomes the Hamilton Dean version 
stage version of the story simply by financial need. Um, and originally, uh, Todd Browning comes to Universal with the promise of Dracula kind of floating out there. Um, he works a lot with Lon Chaney, the man of a thousand faces, and they kind of dangle Dracula out to bring him and Chaney into the fold. And his interest in the movie really starts to wane once Lon Chaney uh, dies of cancer in 1930. And he's like, well, I can't see anyone being able to do what Dracula needs to do if it's not Lon Chaney. But the contracts have been signed. So he's kind of hemmed in to this. So there's a tension involved in this movie where the director kind of doesn't, doesn't want to be there, but he's also brimming with ideas that he hasn't given away quite yet. So, and there's the other part, Todd Brown, who we need to talk about, which is he is spending a lot of time drinking his ass off. As many people were post-depression. Yes, it, it was a thing that people did. It was one of the re driving factors behind the shutoff of, of alcohol sales by the federal government. Um, and <laughs> Browning persists, though. Uh, there's other elements to Browning that make him a weird choice for this in that he doesn't really like talkies as a medium, right? He, his greatest successes before this are coming from silent movies. He is a, a very talented visual artist at communicating things without having to speak. But if the film is now involving talking, he's going to be forced to communicate his needs ahead of time to the cast and the crew. And he, he really wasn't prepared to do that a lot of the time because he had a serious substance abuse problem. It's not to say he didn't have talent. He has a ton of it and it's on display here, but drawing it out of him it takes work and it takes time. And this movie has a budget that it has to hit. Otherwise, the whole of Universal Studios is going to crumble underneath them. Um, he's a very good uh, director, but as technology advanced, so did his alcoholism. So Browning's kind of struggling to keep up. That being said, you cannot take away a lot of the directorial feats of this film from Todd Browning just because he was a tough guy to love and he sometimes slurred his speech a lot. Hmm. Uh, Dracula is, there's a, when you watch it now, you're going to notice some things that just don't feel like a modern movie in any way, shape, or form. It just holds scenes forever. It just plants a camera and lets people talk. And you're like, holy shit. Can we, can we, what's, let's have some, is there dynamics here? And no, there are no, that, those dynamics are a few and far. It, it's very everything. And again, I, I blame this solely on the Hayes code. Every, every, yeah. Everything is very, very muted. Uh, I, it's, it's funny when you, when you read about when, when this movie first was released and that, you know, you ladies were, were, were passing out in horror in the theater. And I'm like, and yeah, I realize I'm slightly jaded, <laughs> but, but, but like, I, I, you know, like I get people throwing up or running, screaming out of the, out of the theater during the exorcist. I, I get that. Yeah. I, I can see where that would be possible or freaking out over the chestburster scene and, and, and alien that, that I understand. But, you know, the shot of Bela Lugosi staring intently at the camera, I, I don't, 
I don't understand why that, you know, had women just, you know, fluttering to the ground in a heap unless it was, oh, he's so handsome, you know, I mean, mm-hmm. and maybe, <laughs> and, and maybe it was, and, you know, you know, men, you know, attributed to, oh, she must be really scared of him. Yeah. And, and this is like, he looks good here. No, he does. But, you, but, but like, he, I, I don't find this particularly scary. Yeah. I think it's more that it evokes scary ideas that just hadn't been seen on the screen quite yet. Because like I said before, there's a lot, there, there's horror movies up till this point that deal with the macabre and they always pull their punches. There are no real ghosts. There are no real vampires. Like Midnight, is it, what is the Lon Chaney one where he's got the pointy teeth and the top hat? Oh, uh, uh, London After Midnight. London After Midnight, unfinished film. In that movie, reportedly, because we don't have the whole of it, uh, he's not really a vampire. He's putting that on just to murder people. Like it's, it, it's like a mask for him or whatever. Uh, and a lot of people just pulling punches. And Nosferatu is the first, you know, movie to put it out there. Like, no, that this is a fucking vampire. But not that many people see Nosferatu because it gets shut down very quickly. And all the copies were supposed to be destroyed. So when Dracula hits the screens, this is the first time you're told this guy's undead. He lives on blood. He can hypnotize people. And we're going to show it to you. And then they, you know, as Hayes code as they can, show it to you. And I think that scandalized people who just hadn't seen it. And the same thing with the stage production. People hadn't seen it with their own eyes and they're confronted with it. And they're like, oh my God, this is freaking me out. And I'm kind of turned on. This is a real weird mix. It's, yeah, I mean, I, I, you know, I, I suppose if you put yourself in the mindset of, you know, what kind of entertainment people were getting, during that era that yeah this 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 certainly you know startling i I, that i can understand but you know the interesting thing is uh despite so much of dracula's look you still being synonymous with dracula as a character is he doesn't have fangs he doesn't have like weird eyes like all all these things sort of came later in different versions Mm -hmm. uh you know in this sort of amalgam of of dracula but he yeah. just and then he's, in he, retrospect, you add them mentally. Right. And he's, he's, just, he's just a guy here. He's just a guy. Yeah. He's just a guy in a smart looking tux, you know? He looks like a magician, basically. Like you said he earlier, is. he looks like a magician. Exactly. You know, he's got a theater cape. You know, it's a whole thing. He's putting on a show. And so in a sense, like he's doing it to, to be a taken seriously, but not taken seriously. It, it's it's complicated. The other element that you'll notice right away if you, you know, watch the original version is that the film doesn't really have so much of a soundtrack. It has it has the opening song, but that's lifted from a symphony. It's Swan Lake. It it, no it, it, it's Swan Lake. Yeah. But everything else just happens with no musical interlude at all. There's no build. There's no, oh, my God, I'm in Dracula's castle. Or, oh, this ship is going to crash. And then just shit just happens. Just with, uh, you know, sound effects and onstage noise. There's no accompaniment to it. Unless you are watching the 90s Philip Glass orchestration. And that, I think, helps 
bridge the gap for people. If you're going to watch this for the first time, my suggestion is if the Philip Glass version is available to watch that one because it is a softer landing than just cold watching scene after scene of just shit happening with zero musical accompaniment. Like your brain will have a very hard time with it. Yeah. Yeah. It's uh, there are different ways you can watch this, you know, and, and have it be a more, visceral experience but just watching the plain you know, version i was originally seen if you haven't seen it yet I, you're probably gonna be a little disappointed <laughs> uh because again not a lot happens and when things do happen they are invariably off screen my uh yes. my, my favorite my favorite aspect of it is how uh uh um you see, you've got the, the typical, you know, uh, Mina has been changed. Um, or is it, is it I know, I think they, they know they reverse the characters at some point, but um, uh, yep. Mina has talking about Lucy or Mina, yeah, she's she's been changed. She's she is, mm-hmm. you know, Dracula's bride, yeah, uh, Harker, and we'll get to Harker in a few minutes. Oh, um, boy. uh, he he has you, he, he's gotten Van, he's recruited uh, Van Halen. <laughs> <laughs> Imagine that. Imagine David Lee Roth. They've recorded Van Halen one, but not Van Halen two. So there are, they're still living in Pasadena, but they're living the Hollywood Sunset Boulevard lifestyle. I, I just want to see like like you know in a Victorian setting, David Lee Roth coming in with like the like the, the spandex and the and the, the thirty seven uh, uh, you know scars. All right, what's going on here? Just running through the microphone for the undead. Just running us through with a microphone stand. <laughs> Just high kicking shit. Uh, a thousand scars off that one fucking microphone. Thinking, that, yeah, like wow, that bassist is kind of kind of big, but he sings really high. Uh, that's a lot of tom tom drums on that drum kit. Um, all things you associate with 1931's drink. Absolutely. So anyway, when he he recruits Van Helsing to to help him uh, uh, slay the Eastern European menace. Um, he, he goes and finds um, Dracula's coffin, mm-hmm. and then like you cut to Jonathan and Mina in another part of the house, and then you hear this like uh sound, and then like Van Helsing comes out. He's like, "Well, he's dead," and then that's at the end of yeah. the movie. That's literally the end of the movie. Well, they cut off fifteen minutes. There's like fifteen minutes after this that it actually existed at one point, but they're like, "No, just send people home. <laughs> this is all they need. They're gonna freak out enough. This is all they can take." So, yeah, she basically like, "Is it over?" He's like. I guess, and then cut to black, spinning globe, a universal <laughs> international film. You know, you when you compare the time to uh, to say Frankenstein and Bride of Frankenstein. Now those are fucking right. movies. Those are movies. Yeah, th- yeah, those are compelling. They're they're scary. They're 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 heartfelt. They're dramatic, and they they. I don't know if satisfying is the word, but but they, they end in a very dramatic fashion. Uh, yeah. Whereas I, here it's whale, just like, well, we did it. Whale's a better communicator of story in a, in a more direct way. He just, he has the same visual panache, but also like Browning's kind of getting fucked with too. It's not all his fault. 
Like they, and you can tell because when you watch, here's the other thing. You can tell when you watch the Spanish version, which one the universal execs are like harping over and giving notes and saying, cut this, leave that in, get rid of that, change this. Because the Spanish version is a full, almost two hours. It's well, it's at least a half an hour longer. And it's full of stuff that both Browning or universal cuts. Um, and while technically there's a lot of cool stuff they, they do in it, like the camera moves a lot more and there's more intercutting going on and you've got a way better Mina as it were. She's not named Mina. She's Eva. Lupita Tovar plays her and Lupita Tovar fucking rules. But there's one thing that the Spanish language version is never going to have. And that is Bella fucking Lugosi. Because if you ever wanted to see like Dracula without Bella, watch the Spanish language version and Carlos Villarreal's version of Dracula. And you're like, oof, la doof. <laughs> that is a swing and a miss, my friend. <laughs> yeah, I think if you, if you kind of combine the two, you, yes. you have a, 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 a superior Dracula movie overall. Oh, if Lupita Tovar was Mina in the English language version, it would, it would be a real banger because you would have a back and forth between those two. And yeah, part, part of the issue here with the English language version is that Helen Chandler as Mina is a fucking doorstop. Like, well, well, that's the thing. Could, could we talk about the, the, the wet noodle in the room? Oh, absolutely. We're a character podcast. We got to talk about it. <laughs> All right. So, you know me and, and you know other people who who you know me personally will know that I am the world's biggest Bram Stoker's Dracula fan. As well, you should be. I, I love that movie very much. I, I do not at all think it's so bad. It's good. I, I, uh, I, whoever's I, saying that doesn't know, doesn't enjoy movies. I, I, I want to just crap is, on shit. I, I think it is a genuine masterpiece. Um, I probably my, I don't know if it's my favorite vampire movie. It is certainly by far my favorite rendition of Dracula. Mm-hmm. Um, but as you might recall, and people still like to bring it up because they think they're very clever and making the same joke and observation that people have been making since time immemorial. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of people found fault with one Keanu Reeves' performance as Jonathan Harker, you know, that, that he was said he was boring, that he struggled with his accent. Not untrue. Yeah. <laughs> um, he tried. God love. God love him. He did try. Um, so does Winona Ryder. Right. They're both. They're both. You know, when you have you know, you know, the only Americans and a cast full of you know, extremely British actors, yeah. uh, you're you're gonna you're gonna find yourself lacking. We can't all be at Meryl Streep with the accents here. Yes. Um, but anyway, you know. From the start, I always felt a little defensive about it. Not that I'm any kind of expert on 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 Dracula as a story, but I got what he was trying to do, and I understood. He read that fucking book, yeah, and he watched that fucking movie, and and he is doing, you know, Jonathan Harker as this sort of you know, uh, uh, impotent man who's you know watching you know, some. You know, suave foreigner come in and steal his woman. And yeah. and he doesn't know how to react to it except resorting to violence. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
because he knew that if he had to win her back on his charms alone, it would not work. No, he's not going to bring her back because the loving's so good. That's, that's they, it's they only, have they have no you know, the only reason they get like like you know, church tongue when they when they <laughs> when they get married is because she's already been spending time with Dracula. You yes. know, she, she's already all a Twitter. Mm-hmm. So it's entirely possible she's not even thinking about Harker when 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 they're kissing. You know, she, she knows just, that Harker is not going to push his buttons, but she also knows that society will not allow her to be in love with this Nosferatu from foreign lands. Like they're not going to be able to just love and exist at night. So maybe she'll play at this and Harker's a, a quote unquote good man. And that's quote unquote good enough. Right. And you know, she's learned a few things, you know, maybe she can transfer that. It's it's part of the modern woman trope that that film is playing with that's in the novel. It's the reason why it's called Bram Stoker's Dracula, everybody. Um, and yeah, you cannot say that there's, at least that I've seen, that there's been a version of Harker in a Dracula adaptation who's like, well, there's a guy who's just going to take your breath away. They're, wow. always, they're always weenies. They're always hopeless yeah. weenies. That's It's not a choice between one awesome guy and this supernatural creature who you, you could never say no to even if you wanted to. It's the fact that even though he's hypnotizing you into it, you kind of want to get hypnotized. There's no way with that with Harker. He's just a guy. Right. <laughs> what, what thing, good what, enough. One thing I liked was, uh, I don't know if you saw uh, a couple of years ago, um, Netflix did a version of Dracula. It was like a three-part miniseries. Uh, yeah. And in the end, it, I, I had a lot of I had a lot of issues with it, but I... I partic- oh, you mean the hour three didn't really captivate you? The- um, I won't give it away because I really do need people to see that. It's a... It, it, it was going fine up until a certain point. And then it just goes to show you, you can take a left. It doesn't mean everyone else in the car is going to turn that way. <laughs> Once again, we are absolutely on the same wavelength. Uh, <laughs> uh, because, yeah, it was absolutely episode three that completely lost me when and when it decided at the last minute, well, we're going to, we actually are going to make this a love story after all. Yeah. Even though, mm-hmm. even though, you know. Amongst many other decisions. <laughs> Right, even though like in episode one, like Dracula's tossing you you know, severed heads at nuns and all, but but mm-hmm. what I what I was trying to say is that I like that they basically just killed the shit out of Jonathan Harker like, <laughs> the, the first episode, and it was gruesome too. Like yeah. like he is telling you know, he's doing the whole telling the story about how he went to car he went to the castle and he had these strange encounters and you know oh you know this this bizarre this man he's coming and he's going to wreak havoc and then Dracula is like in his body. <laughs> and basically like tears through him is like i'm here already and, <laughs> and it's so like like I, said, I had a lot of faults with that but i i almost fell out of my seat i did not see that coming in the slightest and i'm like yeah just yeah. get fucking harker out of the way right from the beginning i love it, it i love it it's the it's the beautiful thing about adaptation is you take what works for the story you're trying to tell and you leave everything else behind and yeah, you don't 
you don't see it coming. Spoiler alert for everyone. And that's not the last thing you don't see coming. There are so many things you don't see coming, you'll almost never run out of them. It's it's worth it for the experience. Maybe it will work for you. But I, I appreciate it for the many swings it takes. Speaking of swings, let us return back to 1931 because there's another element of this film that must be discussed. And it influences not only how well this film turns out, but the rest of cinema. Because behind the cinematographer's chair is one Karl Freund. And he was instrumental in the rise of German expressionism with films like The Golem and Metropolis. So already those are probably two images our audience probably has at the drop of a hat. And so he is key here at both lighting Dracula's castle, Carfax Abbey, the the crypt underneath both, like they, all these massive two-story sets, he makes come alive in both. While other people are listed as a cinematographer for the Spanish language version, it's the same lighting setup. They didn't change the lighting, so it comes down to Carl Freund really creating these images. There's not much he can do in like a living room set, but he makes the most of everything else. And like, they are the best parts of these films in, in my, in, in my opinion, he is a collaborator here. He's not working alone. He and Browning make for an incredible team. And if you ever want to see what Carl Freund does behind the camera, my suggestion to everyone is to watch the mummy from 33, 34. It happens right after this. And boy, after the first five minutes, that movie is a wash. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Carl Freund, great visualist, maybe not the greatest storyteller. So again, there's a collaboration here. The reason why genius happens is because everyone gets in a room and what they fight about ends up being so influential that the world turns after this film is released. That being said, I also have to mention the fucking nerd in me has to mention the fact that while Carl Freund was not the creator of the three camera sitcom system, he is the one who perfects it. He's the one who perfects sitcom lighting. He is the reason why I Love Lucy is looks so fucking good. It has never left syndication. And that show is old as shit. Like when you look at, at Cheers now, it's a little harsh. When you look at I Love Lucy, everyone looks good. Even people who don't look good look good. And it's Carl Freund is the reason. Uh, he perfected three camera sitcoms, everybody. He's the reason why they look the way they look and the system works the way it works. It's pretty incredible that he can have that breadth of a uh, creative uh, influence on the industry. So, all right. We've talked about it enough. We, we even mentioned it in passing. But as we hit the near hour mark here, <laughs> let us discuss the one, the only, Bella the Hitman Lugosi, Gina. My favorite story about Bella Lugosi uh, comes from the Dracula set. They were in the midst of uh, starting to film one of the endless parlor scenes. And before cameras roll... Lugosi is off in a corner, staring at himself in a mirror, throwing his hand out in his weird fork hands. 
and bellowing, I am Dracula. And at one point, one of the cast members is like, what the fuck are you doing? Like, we're, this is a movie. You know you're not Dracula, right? Like, this is, this is a, this, this is just a movie. You don't have to, you don't have to put that much into it. And the crazy thing is, nobody else on this movie, with the exception of Carl Fry, who drinks himself to death, I think, uh, nobody else in this movie goes on to do anything but Bela Lugosi. Bela Lugosi is Dracula. Again, he's default Dracula. Whatever his thing was, it worked, whether it was on stage, whether it was in this movie or the Black Cat or Abbott and Costello meet Frankenstein. Bela Lugosi has something and it just is what it is. You can't take it away from him. He just works on camera. Yeah, I mean, nobody watches this movie because, oh, this is my favorite version of Mina Harker. <laughs> yes, absolutely true. And uh, the problem, the problem is, is for, for better or for worse, like he was typecast as, as I mean, he was literally like, I mean, we all know the story about how uh, uh, he showed up for a role in um, Plan 9 from Outer Space. Uh, it was still wearing the Dracula cape, even though he's supposed to be playing an alien. Right. And then he was literally, he was literally buried in it. Like he, yeah. he just like, this was, this was, you know, this ended up being, uh, you know, a more of a burden for him of, of being, you know, uh, you immediately associated with this role. So he did almost exclusively horror for the, the, you know, the rest of his career. I mean, he did a little bit of comedy, but it, again, he was basically was, was parodying Count Dracula. And I, I think some of it has to do with the fact that, like, when he came to this country from from Hungary, which he, which he was chased out of because uh, he was a socialist and he it was an acting union organization uh, organizer of actors. Um, he comes to Germany, he just like starts to learn stage parts phonetically, and as such, like he has a very defined way of speaking, and it's just going to define him one way or the other. And as a dashing romantic foreigner, he absolutely fits. And then you put him in other things and he doesn't fit as well. It just, and there just wasn't a breadth of roles for him to play. So he was always playing the heavy. He was always playing someone who had dark secrets or a macabre nature about him or was tapped into the supernatural. And yeah, it, it, it stifles him. And there's a lot of hay to be made about, oh, well, he turned down doing Frankenstein. I don't think he was in the in the place in his career to turn down doing shit. The if depending on who you read and who you believe, he screen tested for Frankenstein. And when people saw his Frankenstein, they're like, there's no way this is going to work. We need somebody who has a completely different body type, who seems put who seems put together of different parts. And that's where you get Bella. That's where you get Boris Karloff into this. And yet Lugosi goes on to play Frankenstein at one point. Uh, but in the continuity of that, he's been blinded. So when people walk around as Frankenstein with their arms extended, that's not from any of the previous Frankenstein movies. That's from the one Frankenstein movie. Lugosi is playing the monster. 
because he's blind. So that's how fucking influential he is. Like, even in a role he doesn't originate, he ends up changing to the point where you say, act like Frankenstein. People put their hands up, corpse still straight in front of them, and think that's Frankenstein. That's Lugosi, baby. Um, it's fucking nuts. It's crazy. He had so much influence and just was not appreciated in his time. And you see a picture of him uh, from like 1921. I urge everyone to do that. Oh yeah, he, get 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 you a hot. piece of get you a piece of young Bill Lugosi. Oh fuck, man, he was hot. <laughs> he was just hot. And I don't think he's as hot by the time he hits 31, Dracula. But he's still got, he's just compelling. He's got he's that, he's got giving. that, he's doing a lot with virtually nothing. Right. Like, like the script for this might as well have been like a single piece of paper. And he's just eating off of every line. He is not late for his shift at the cunt factory. He just <laughs> is serving. Oh, I thought for the fact that that shirt would probably be banned from our, our, uh, <laughs> Our tea public store that that would make a a I I would love to cl- lay wonderful claim, but shirt. I, I I am repeating a, a, a TikTok thing. So um, <laughs> I don't think I've ever heard you say that word. My goodness! No, no, and I, we'll see if it stays in the episode. I might. It'll either be right up front or all the way at the end or right where I said it. But yeah, uh, he's he just makes this all come alive, and. You know, you make that big of a splash. Um, it's great because people will forever know your name. You make this kind of a splash, people forever know your name because of Dracula. And it's a double-edged sword in a time where, you know, people just weren't allowed to be different things to different people. They don't, they didn't have that many avenues to understand you. Right. And, and, you know, if Dracula as a movie is, is not the most, you know, exciting movie in the world, you could still, you know, it, it is just so influential that the better version of it uh-huh. s- still, you know, lifts a lot of things from it. You've got this sort of uh, uh, uncanny aspect of Dracula's castle, like where rudder, water runs the wrong way. And, and there's just this like, weird vibe to it you've got gary oldman's like extremely thick eastern european accent which right, he's been, yeah. he's doing bella lugosi you know so <laughs> exactly. so yeah so i mean he but i mean he's the physicality of the role he's taken in a completely different direction but the voice is 100 percent lugosi yes um the the one thing though i think the newer versions seem to miss like they they put in the wolves they put in the bats but they don't put in enough possums falling off of coffins you know what i mean <laughs> you know you think about it it would be likely that if his if his coffin was just you 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 stuck in the in 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 the the lower level of like a castle there probably would be like raccoons and possums and shit just kind of hanging out yeah <laughs> they're scavengers they could smell they could smell dead things I think they were going for they're even bigger, meaner rats, but they don't. They that was definitely a possum. Yeah. Yeah. It just doesn't quite work. But someone described Browning as irrational, but compelling. And that's, it's really good. Like shit doesn't make sense, but it, it, it makes you 
lean towards the screen, not lean away from it. It shouldn't make sense because you are you are dealing with otherworldly things. Right. Um, and <laughs> it's, I mean, I, I would tell people what happens in the movie, but everyone knows what happens in this movie, even if they don't. Like. Oh, yeah. You you. It's like it's literally it's it's literally like barely an hour long. Right. Like the, the the crazy thing is when and and you know if you're looking for them a lot of times Criterion Channel has them. Uh, it, it's 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 crazy how short these movies are, and they 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 manage to tell a complete story. Listen, is is Dracula pretty bare bones as a story? Yeah, it's very stripped down because yes. it, because again, it was it was you know it is a theatrical version. It, it is a it is a it is a cinematic version of a play version of a book. Right. So you you get just more stripping down, more stripping down, and then again, not to belabor a point, there was a lot of stuff they could not do, a lot of things they couldn't even imply because of the Hayes Code restrictions. Yeah. So you know, th- th- Lugosi and Dwight Fry were giving one hundred and fifty percent. Everybody else did about thirty percent, but but. <laughs> You know, I think as far as, you know, what Browning was doing, what Lugosi and Fry were doing, you know, they were doing a lot with very little. Right. Um, I do want that to have somebody in my life that will tell me the sun's gone down. You can get out of your box now. I <laughs> I would love that. I just want to enter a room with just this maniacal grin, like, 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 uh, like Dwight Fry. That's such a great, a great shot. And like I said, Nicholas Holt just manages to perfectly capture it in Renfield. Yeah. And yet you, and yet like before Renfield shows up, Dracula is driving his own carriage. Like he's doing a lot. He's watching his, his pennies. So the dollars can watch himself. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. He does a lot. He's, uh, he's, he's, got, he's, a, he's multitasking. He's multitasking. We got love a multi, lovely ladies. We, we love a multitasker. He's in, he's, in a plur, <laughs> he's in a plural marriage. Yes. He, he's very he's very free thinking. Um, you know, but he also sets boundaries. He's like, no, this one's mine. And they're all like, all right, but we were gonna give him a hot BJ, like in Ghostbusters. He was he was kind of he like, was kind of no. into it. I am aware that he was kind of into it, but who wouldn't be into it? That's that's not the problem here. But I'm working on a real estate deal that can only be completed if this guy's under my thrall and I'm making me bugs. Um, uh, I do love when when Renfield is going up to the castle and there's that bat flying in front of the horses. Like, like the bats are your first GPS. They're just like, I don't remember the way to the castle, but luckily for me, the bat does. Um, I love that every spooky house is playing off this movie. <laughs> they all get cobwebs after. Um, and I also when we talked about like why people are compelled by this, I just don't think they were used to getting eye fucked the way Dracula. Yeah, eye no, I, I, I had to try to, I have to try to think of it in context of what they had seen by that point. And, yeah. and again, most of the time you were, if you were going to, to, to you, you, the cinema at this mm-hmm. time period, you were, you were getting a, you know, an insipid musical, you know, okay. you, you, you weren't getting like, you know, oh, here's, here's the, the, the European sex machine coming in to steal your lady. <laughs> um, when the, the, the title came up, like they're on board the Vesta. I'm like, are you telling me that this entire summer, a uh, year of a boat with a Dracula on it was wrong? 
they're all giving me accurate versions. And the 1931 is like, I don't know what a Demeter is. <laughs> we, don't don't have it, we don't have it in the budget to give the boat a name that has more than five letters. <laughs> like, it's just a Vesta. That's fine. The people will get it. You don't have to be accurate. Um, and then when they open up the, you know, they find a bunch of uh, shadows of dead bodies strapped to the, to the wheel and shit. And, and the police open up the, the, the door to the hall. <laughs> Dwight fries about the, and he's doing that weird life. <laughs> and, and, and again, like every version of Renfield has done it's, it's been it's been a take on that of yeah. course you've got um i mean the best one of course is peter mcnichol and dracula dead and loving it right, which, yeah. which that and and the scene in which uh jonathan uh stakes lucy and gets about about 40 gallons, gallons of blood, blood yeah. fire hosed into his face are really the only two parts of that movie worth watching but yeah. but but Peter McNichol just is having the time of his fucking life playing Renfield. He's making the most of the situation because that I mean he he know he knows that script's a non-starter, so he's just right. like whatever. I'm here to I'm not here for a long time. I'm here for a good time. Exactly. I do I do find it odd that the authorities who open that door and hear that laugh aren't more concerned yeah, about they're just the way like, they're, laughs. they're just kind of like, huh, that's strange. Oh, what's that's a, odd. I say, what's all this then? Yeah, maybe you should see a doctor or something, like fucking ACAB for, for sure. <laughs> um, meanwhile, the, the Count's just strolling the streets of London town now with a top hat on and immediately murders the girl who's like, Flores, Flores, para los muertos. Say your flower. <laughs> and he's like, mm, I think you could do with four gallons less blood in your body and just takes her to town. Um, and why he isn't introduced with London calling on the, over that title card is beyond me. <laughs> Producers really cheap. Or, uh, or uh, Panic in the Streets of London. <laughs> right. Yeah, something, give me something. Come on. <laughs> And so, like the 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 box of the theater where where Seward introduces Count to Mina, Lucy, and Harker, is the same sets from uh, the Phantom of the Opera, which stood forever until it was torn down and replaced by Super Nintendo World. Gina, of course, it's where Bowser's Castle is. It's where <laughs> they filmed the Phantom of the Opera, and they're like. We don't need that shit anymore. Well, they need they need they need the atmosphere. That's right. Yes, now it stands where the uh, the shower scene from Psycho was filmed is where Bowser's castle is. Um uh, more importantly the bathroom. Um but uh I love I do love that Lucy has this like jaunty rhyme about haunted houses. Like more people should have haunting rhymes about a house you just moved into. Absolutely. Um, uh, Drac uh, flies into Lucy's room. <laughs> you can, in in a, uh, we've talked a lot about grips moving uh, branches just beyond the frame. But no, I just don't, the bat does not work for me in this movie. Oh my God, it's so bad. It's charming. I just, it's, there's no, 
it's only moving because he's it's bouncing it's and it just yeah, looks it's too definitely jaunty. like a underpaid if paid at all stagehand just off screen with that thing hanging off a stick <laughs> and you know bella comes in with those fork hands and when he gets to her pillow they don't move they don't bend they're just stick straight in that and it's a crazy looking thing he's acting with his whole body it's his commitment which brings you over to his interpretation in right. my mind yeah yeah uh i do love when seward does a postmortem on lucy and it's in front of a whole fucking audience that's practically standing room only like it's showtime at the apollo level crowds <laughs> for this <laughs> autopsy it's fucking nuts um, but of course that draws the attention of Dr. Van Helsing who believes in vampires and thinks like he can gather some proof uh, amongst the constant pile, a growing pile of dead bodies <laughs> that are going to start showing up. They'll provide all the hints he needs. Um, and then it's not too much longer after that, that Mina gets her own visit from the count. But the thing is with Mina is she's a sipper, right? You don't, you don't guzzle that bad boy. She's a sipping lady. You just get a little from her and drag it out over time. Yeah, just just uh, you know, you you want you want to you want to make it last. Yeah. Um, at this where I wrote the note. Wolf Harker is the softest boy who ever lived. Oh, he's he yeah, he's fucking he, useless. Yeah, just yeah, no, no, uh, just just complete and utter limp dick, and just you know, in in literal and metaphorical sense. I mean, later on, he's like, "Oh, that bat's gonna get in your hair," and you're like. I don't think you're, I don't think that bat is scared of you. No. <laughs> that bat is not afraid. What are you going to do? My word it away? <laughs> yeah. He's like, oh, it might get in your hair. And like, oh boy. He's, <laughs> he's just, he's not competition. Really. Uh, no, no. You should just walk away. Thing is, Gina, if you're a vampire and you don't want people to notice that you don't show up in mirrors, when someone shows you a mirror, don't smack it out of their fucking hand gaslight them into thinking they're wrong i see myself in the mirror what's your fucking problem i mean i do like i i do like uh in the uh the coppola version how he just kind of like breaks the mirror with his mind yeah and, and, and i can't tell you how many times i i wished i could do that just like you know look at my reflection kind of growl and then like turn my head away and the whole thing just shatters exactly one of those bad boys exactly mm. Um, here's another difference between the English and the American, the, the, the Spanish language version is when Mina gets called outside for drink to, for sip to. In the English language version, she just kind of saunters outside like it's another nice night. And in the Spanish language version, she's called, she's hypnotized. She's, she's compelled mentally. And the English language version is like, I love a garden at night. There's nothing scary about it. No. Um, but ultimately, he gets her for the three count. She starts to get afraid of crosses. Um, they're like, we don't know what to do. Seward's fucking useless. Harker's fucking useless. Van Helsing's like, you know what we'll do? We'll follow Renfield as he breaks out of this mental asylum for the 50th fucking time. <laughs> And he goes to Carfax Abbey and you're like, oh, Dracula's in Carfax. You knew that. He bought the place. His name's on the fucking deed, y'all. But they go in there. 
And Dracula's like, mm, I don't have time for you. He chokes out Renfield. I don't, does he throw him down the stairs? It, it's, it's a, you don't really get, he just screams off camera like, ah! and you're like, oh, that dude's dead. That's all you get. And then they retreat down to the, uh, to the cellar. They each get in their individual coffins. I like that you never see anyone try to get out of a coffin out of the ground because there's no cool way to do that, Gina. No. No. Uh, and then, yeah, Van Helsing stakes Dracula off screen. And then Harker and Mina are like, that was crazy. You want to <laughs> go to TJ Fridays or something? <laughs> yeah, like like just Dracula just kind of lets out this, oh, like, like oh, that was a spicy meatball. Yeah, it's um, it's a it's, it's a little, a little it's it, I think anticlimactic w- would be the the uh, the word here. Yeah, you know, whereas in in uh, the you know and again not to belabor a point, but the Coppola murder, you have this like epic horse chase, and they're chasing him from like England back to the old country, and 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 he's got minions helping, and then Mina has to stake him, and then ch- cut off his fucking head. Yeah. Because otherwise the, the curse won't break. Right. And here it's just like, uh, here's this little tappy tap in your heart. Just got poke, just got the little, little pokey poke. <laughs> you know, night night. Not no big deal. Didn't even get my hands dirty. Yeah. So I mean, you either die by getting siphoned off by Dracula, or I guess um you get choked out on a staircase. What say you, Gina? Oh, I, I want. Yeah, I would definitely it would take Dracula's way out. I mean, I get, yeah. I get my, I get my blood, my entire blood supply drained out of my body and put back three times a week anyway. So, you know, what's a, what's a, what's a single bite and just you know, and leaving me to die? It's fine. It's fine. Uh, I'm right where with you. If I have the option, like he's not. Yeah, I'm gonna be like the flower girl. I'm not coming back. He's not like I need this guy around. Like I need him talking. I mean, if I had a preference, I would want to come back as a vampire myself. Mm-hmm. But if not, then yeah, just go. Just just go ahead and 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 you know, treat me like the 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 golden corral buffet. But do you want to come back like this kind of vampire where one person's in charge? And he's like, no, you don't get to drink tonight. It oh, seems no, like no, no, I don't I want know. to be a free range vampire. Yeah. And I want these motherfuckers. But, but also I want like, like, like I want teeth and cool eyes too. Yeah. Uh, Josh Hollis does all of our artwork. Uh, go to joshhollis.com. Uh, go to uh, Revenge Bonnie Memphis at bandcamp.com to get this remix and all our other things. Gina, where can people find you on this here internets? I write about television and movies at thespool.net. I have a Substack. It's GinaWatchesThings.substack.com. And I am on Blue Sky and Instagram and TikTok under Gina Does Things. Do today, people. Check it out. Uh, rate and review us on iTunes or wherever your podcatcher of choice is. We love to see it. Come join us on Patreon where we do fun extra bonus stuff. And, of course, we're on all the various socials with the exception of, of Twitter. Fuck that joint. And that just about does it. Uh, next week for Kill the Rockstar, guess what? It's time to get uh, hit up with one of the masters of horror uh, doing a music video. That's right. Uh, Toby Hooper's uh, version of a uh, nuclear wasteland of some sort. We're going to be talking about Dancing With Myself by Billy Idol. 
And we got a fun special guest, which is we don't usually do for off weeks, but I think you're going to like every single part of it. Uh, do it uh, today. Uh, of course, uh, the body count will continue for myself and for Gina. Bye-bye, everybody. Bye. Well, greetings and salutations, Internet. It's your old pal, Patrick Hamilton, coming to you once again from Carfax Abbey, the one office that has a Labradoodle who's working on a crinkly toy that I did not know was in the office. Oswald. Oz, come here, buddy. Come here. Right. Hey, right. No, bring that. Bring that. Bring that. Bring that. Oh, my God. Hold on. We got some real hound from hell situation here, folks. <laughs>